All right, let's get into the teaching of the Word today. We are in our Rest on Us teaching series. We want the Holy Spirit to rest on us just as He did on Jesus the Messiah because we know that when the Spirit of God rests on us, we will see the fruit of the Spirit developed in our lives, we will see the attributes of the Spirit, and we will see the gifts of the Spirit operating in our lives. And so we've been in this teaching series breaking down all the gifts of the Spirit individually, but also just looking at the idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a big picture and what it means for each one of us. If you guys remember, our definition of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is this, that it's an act of God's Spirit to produce a concrete manifestation in word or deed of God's grace through an individual for the benefit of others. Right, So the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are impelled, we are compelled, we have an unction to do something, and we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and we do it in word or deed, and because we do, God supernaturally ministers His grace through us for the benefit of others. Sometimes it's for the benefit of the whole church, sometimes it's for the benefit of one person, but it's always for the benefit of somebody else, not ourselves. And so we have taken the the 21 gifts that Paul specifically teaches, and we have broken them down into five categories. We made these categories up. They're not biblical. Just made them up so that it would be easier to teach the gifts. And so you can see that uh, we've already taught through the nine gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. We've looked at the revelation gifts. We've looked at the power gifts. And we've looked at the vocal gifts. And now today, we're going to look at the seven serving gifts, and then next Sunday, we're going to get into the office gifts. So let's talk about the serving gifts. If you've got your notes, you can find them in the bulletin. You can find them in the church app. They're attached to this video, or they're attached to this audio. Here's our big picture point today. The serving gifts are Holy Spirit-empowered moments when God uses you to minister His grace to meet people's tangible needs and keep them moving forward, right? So these are moments where you're meeting somebody right where they're at and you are serving them in such a way that God's grace is going to keep them moving forward no matter what they're going through in life. Now, we've been looking at all the attributes of the Holy Spirit from Isaiah 11:2, and we've been matching one attribute to our category well, I kind of cheated this week. We're actually skipping ahead to Isaiah 11:3, because after it lists the six attributes of the Holy Spirit that would rest upon Jesus, in verse 3 it says, and he, Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about the spirit of delight, that it should be with joy, with cheerfulness, with delight that we serve people. Right? That should be our hearts. That should be our desire. And so today, we don't just want to talk about the gifts themselves. We want to talk about operating in the gifts with the right hearts and in the right environments as we love and serve people. So uh, we put this slide together. So you can see these are the seven serving gifts that we're going to break down today. I couldn't fit them in your notes, so I put them up on the screen for you. We have the gift of service, which is also called helps. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then we have the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, 
which is a fancy word for encouragement. We have the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, and the gift of administrations. These are the gifts that we're going to break down today, and we want to look at their operation within the right atmosphere of our hearts and the right atmosphere of the church. So let's get into our passage today, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul writes this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to... but." I'm sorry, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, and the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So let's break this passage down. Let's go back to the the first phrase that Paul uses. He says, for through the grace given to me. And so we want to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the light of the grace given to each one of us. But what was Paul's gift of grace? If he started this teaching by saying, for through the grace given to me, I say to you, what was the grace that was given to Paul? Well, he actually uses this phrase several times when he writes, and it gives us a greater look at what he's talking about. At the beginning of Romans, in chapter 1, when he's doing his introduction to the church of Rome, he says this, through whom, Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles in behalf of his name. So what was his gift of grace? Apostleship. And a part of operating in apostleship is calling people to obedience. But he had a specific calling of apostleship, and that was to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, he writes, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. Another way that he operated in his apostolic gift was he planted churches. He laid the foundation of churches in different cities. And then he would leave after appointing elders, and those elders would build upon the foundation that he laid. So he was an apostle. He was a church planter. In Galatians 2.9, he says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, who was Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So James and Peter and John, pillars of the church, recognized the gift of grace that was within Paul, and they recognized his gift of grace was to be an apostle to the Gentiles just as they were apostles to the Jews. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, he writes, to be specific, 
that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So again, it's a gift of God's grace that made Paul what? A minister to the Gentiles. He preached the gospel. He planted churches. He he taught them to be obedient to the faith. He operated in this grace gift, and he recognized that this was his grace. And so in that grace gift, he says, through the grace given to me, I say to you. So now in this apostolic gift of grace that Paul had, he was going to teach the church. He was operating in his grace gift. I want us to understand that, that we all have grace gifts. You say, well, I can't be Paul. Well, you're not supposed to be Paul. You're supposed to be you with the measure of faith that God has given you operating in the gift of grace that he has given you. And it is our responsibility to recognize what those gifts are. He goes on to say, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment. Another translation would say to have sober judgment, right? Well, the opposite of sober would be drunk. And so in your notes, I put the point, let's not get drunk on ourselves. Don't get drunk on yourself. So instead of being an alcoholic, we're an egoaholic. We're just full of ourselves. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to because we each have been given a measure of faith. So when we think about spiritual pride, I mean, the main thing we think about is somebody who thinks, you know what, I'm better than you because I have a greater gift than you. Right? I do more for Jesus than you do. Jesus just gave me better stuff, and I'm better than you. And we've all probably experienced this kind of spiritual pride where somebody looks down on you because they have gifts that you don't have. So that's one aspect of spiritual pride. But I want to give you another aspect that maybe you didn't consider when it comes to this idea of being drunk on yourself. And that is the person who doesn't operate in their spiritual giftings because they say things like, I'm afraid of being embarrassed. I'm afraid of making a mistake. I'm afraid of doing it wrong. Right? Many of us have probably said those things. And that's actually a form of spiritual pride because all we're thinking about is ourself instead of operating in the grace gift God has given us to touch somebody else's life. Right? So we say, well, I'll do certain things for God, but I don't want to operate in that gift because I'm worried about how I'm going to look or what people are going to think of me. Right? We've got that meatloaf anointing. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Some of you are like, who's meatloaf? All right. I just went in the Wayback Machine there. All right. I'll do anything for the Holy Spirit, but I won't do that. Right? It's being drunk on ourself. It's being consumed with ourself. John Bevere, who's a great Christian writer and teacher, he says this, A spirit of pride and a spirit of religion go hand in hand, and they strengthen each other by hiding each other. 
Pride keeps a person from admitting they've become religious, and religion covers up pride by its spiritual behavior. And so when we're full of ourselves on either end of the spectrum, we cover it up by doing quote-unquote religious things or spiritual things, when in reality what we're doing is avoiding operating in the grace gifts that God has given us in the first place. Amen, Pastor. That's great teaching. All right. Whew. I silenced the crowd on that one. Don't be drunk on ourselves. If we're going to operate charismatically, we've got to be willing to let go of ourselves and yield to the Holy Spirit. The next thing I want to talk to you about you talk to you about is the idea of enduring gifts versus spontaneous gifts. Enduring gifts versus spontaneous gifts. As I was studying this sermon series, I asked myself this question, and I asked the Holy Spirit, and I asked my pastor because I wanted to get as much input as I could. I said, what's the distinction between somebody who has the same gift all the time versus somebody who a gift just comes on them spontaneously? And my pastor gave me the best answer. He just said, yes and yes. You know, again, in our Greek thinking, it's like, well, which one is it? And the answer is yes. It's both. So some of us, or, or all of us, we may have enduring gifts. That is that you have a gift that operates all the time. Right? God gave you the gift, and it operates all the time. So for me, for example, I have a leadership gift. Right? God gave me this gift, and it's always operating. After we did the woodworking with Frank last week, uh, I went back the next day to finish up the projects and collect the projects. And Frank was saying to me, he was like, you know, Pastor, you've really got a knack for woodworking. You really picked it up really quick, and then you were helping the other guys and organizing the other guys. And I said, no, Frank, it's not because I'm good at woodworking. It's because I have a leadership gift, and I just can't help myself. When I'm in a gathering like that, I just want to help people and organize people and lead people because it's an enduring gift, right? So we may have an enduring gift, or we may have a spontaneous gift that just comes upon us. So yes, if you have an enduring gift, embrace it and use it. But just because you have one enduring gift, don't shut yourself off to all the other gifts, because the Holy Spirit may want to give you one spontaneously. Think about it this way. The gifts are not housed in us. The gifts are housed in the Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit? Dwelling in our spirit. So what does that mean? That means the potential for every single gift is dwelling inside of us within the Holy Spirit. So we could operate in any gift at any time if the Holy Spirit so chooses. So I want to encourage you today. Understand what is your grace gift. Understand what ministry has been given to you. That's the next blank in your notes. Understand your grace gift and embrace it and operate in it, but keep yourself open to the spontaneous gifts that could come upon you at any time. God might give you a prophetic word and you'll be like, prophecy is not my gift. I'm just going to stick with my gift. No, the Holy Spirit wants you to prophesy right now. Are you guys feeling me? 
So let's pursue enduring gifts, but let's also be open to spontaneous gifts. So let's take Timothy, for example. When we ask the question, what ministry has been given to you? Let's look at 1 Timothy and what Paul wrote to his young disciple. He said, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was granted to you through words of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So Paul is saying there are some enduring gifts in you. You have them because the elders laid hands on you and prophesied over you. Don't neglect them, operate in them. Well, what were those enduring gifts? Well, Paul just listed them in the verse before. He said, give your attention to public reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. Those were Timothy's enduring gifts. Awesome. So, let's embrace the gifts of grace God has given us, and let's also stay open at any time to the Holy Spirit operating any gift through us. Awesome. So before we break these gifts down, let's just read one more verse. We read the list of gifts in Romans 12, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul adds a couple of more that we're going to add to our list. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, and then helps and administrations and various kinds of tongues. So we're adding helps and administrations to our list of the serving gifts. So let's break these down. Let's start with the gift of service, which a lot of times we lump together with this idea of the gift of helps. So we have the gift of service or the gift of helps. But I actually had a revelation this week. A lot of times when we think about this gift, this is kind of the category where we're all like, I like to serve. I like to do things behind the scenes. I don't want anybody to notice me. Uh, I don't want to be in front of people. And so I must have the gift of service, and, and I just serve behind the scenes. That's not what this gift is. Let's break it down. First off, the word helps is challenging to study because... This is the only time it shows up in the New Testament is when Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 12. So you have to go to the Greek translation of the Old Testament to study it a little deeper. And what you find is the general meaning of helps is the support or the defense of someone who is oppressed or victimized. In Psalm 22, David cries out to God for help when he is being victimized. That's this same word. Also in Psalms, the word is translated that the Lord is our shield. He's our defender in times of need. Right? So if you have the gift of helps, it means that you have a supernatural anointing to stand for those and to support those who are oppressed or victimized. But let's talk about service. This is where I really had an aha moment, okay? If you remember way back to the first uh, sermon in this series... We talked about the narrow definition of the gifts of the Holy Spirit only includes those first nine that we taught. 
The broader definition is the 21 that we're teaching together here in this series. And then the broadest definition is anything that you do empowered by the Holy Spirit is a gift. The 21 that Paul taught were just lists that he made, but really anything you do. Well, that broadest definition of anything that you do empowered by the Spirit is a gift, I believe it all falls under this idea of the gift of service. Because when I began to study this, what I found is that the word that Paul uses for service is diakonia, which can mean service or it can mean ministry. In verb form, diakoneo, it can mean to serve or to minister. And then in in noun form, it's diakonos, which means servant or minister. Why is this a big deal? Well, diakonos might sound familiar to you because in the Latin, it's the word deacon. And deacon is one of the roles in the church of being a servant leader, right? We see it established in Acts chapter 6 where they got these men together and anointed them as servant leaders, as ministers within the church, as deacons. Here at Kauai Bible Church, we use the word team captain because we don't speak Latin and nobody knows what a deacon is. All right, so our team captains are our deacons. But the idea is that this word doesn't mean serving behind the scenes. This word means ministry. So as we call it the gift of service, we could also call it the gift of ministry. And if you study this word, we find in the story of Mary and Martha that it says Martha was distracted by much service. So we know that Martha was doing all the housework. So service can mean housework. In Acts chapter 6, the complaint arose because of the serving of food. That's the same word, diakonia. So service can refer to things like housework and serving food. But then we find in Acts chapter 1, the original 12 disciples referred to the ministry that God had called them to, the diakonia, and that they had to replace Judas because somebody else needed his share of the ministry. In Acts 6, it says the apostles devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, diakonia. Paul was called to the ministry of apostleship. When all of the churches raised funds and resources to bless the church of Jerusalem in the midst of an awful famine, Paul called what they were doing a ministry. This was our ministry to the church of Jerusalem. Paul says that we are all called to the ministry of reconciliation. Hebrews 1.14, I love this. The writer of Hebrews describes angels by saying, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service to the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Right? So even angels are in the ministry. In Colossians 4.7, Paul tells the elders of the church of Colossae to tell Archippus, See to the ministry which you have received in the Lord so that you may fulfill it. So Archippus had a ministry, a diakonia. Why am I pounding on this? Because I want you to see that service and ministry are synonymous. Therefore, the gift of service is any supernaturally empowered ministry that we do for others. 
So I don't want to mistake this gift of serving as I just do things behind the scenes because I like to help out. No, the gift of service is you have a ministry. You have a grace gift. Let's go back to Timothy again. I love using Timothy as an example. What was Timothy's ministry? As we keep asking ourselves today, what is my ministry? What was Timothy's ministry? Paul writes to Timothy and says, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, now Paul gets into his exhortation. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things, endure hardship, do do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, your diaconia. So what was Timothy's ministry? Well, he was to teach, he was to correct, he was to rebuke, but he was to do it with patience and love and be really nice about it, and he was to endure hardship, and he was to be an evangelist. Sounds an awful lot like a senior pastor, yeah? Come on. Fulfill your ministry this was Timothy's ministry, was to be the senior pastor of the church of Ephesus. What is your ministry? What grace gifts has God given you to minister to others? All right, some of these we're going to move through quickly because we don't have time to break all of these down. Teaching, do you have the, the grace gift of teaching? When you teach, does the grace of God minister to other people? What about exhortation? which is the Greek word parakaleo, which means to encourage, to comfort, or to urge. And to urge somebody could mean to beg, to appeal, to plead, to implore, to invite. I find this interesting because when Jesus says, I won't leave you alone, I will send you a comforter, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. He uses the same word, paraklete, the comforter. So the gift of exhortation is to encourage and to comfort and to encourage and to urge people. Come on, you can do it. Cross the finish line. Keep going. Step into this. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. But God, who comforts the discouraged, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted among you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So in this moment, Titus had the gift of exhortation. When Titus showed up, God supernaturally ministered comfort to Paul even though in Macedonia they were having such a hard time that Paul felt like he was at the end of himself. All of a sudden now Paul is rejoicing because he's been comforted. He's been encouraged. The gift of exhortation. How about the gift of giving? Paul uses the word metadidomai. Metadidomai. 
So didomai simply means to give, and we're actually going to break that word down more next week. So what does it mean when you add meta to the front of it? Well, nowadays, when we think of meta, we think of the big corporation that owns Facebook and Instagram and all of these platforms. In its common language today, meta, when it's used as a prefix, actually means when something is about itself. So, for example, meta research is the research about the research. A meta story is the story about the story. But what did meta mean back in Jesus' day? It meant beyond. For example, Aristotle wrote his book, Physics, where he made all of the observations that he made about the physical world. And then his next book was called Metaphysics, Beyond the Physical World, What's Going On That We Cannot See. So meta means beyond. So when Paul uses the word meta didomai, he's not just referring to giving. He's referring to beyond giving. You have a gift to give above and beyond. And when you do, the grace of God is ministered powerfully. Right? So this is supernaturally empowered giving. Now remember, Jesus didn't measure the extravagance of giving by the amount that was given but rather by the amount of sacrifice it took to give. So when we talk about this gift, we're not talking about the amount that you give. We're talking about the sacrifice that goes above and beyond. And when you do, you give a gift to somebody or you're generous to meet somebody's need, suddenly their heart opens up to the grace of God and you're able to share the gospel with them. Or when you give to a project, suddenly God moves that project forward and it's supernaturally effective in ministry. That's the gift of giving. Metadidomai. You go beyond giving. Leadership. This one's pretty straightforward, except I will point out, because we read number 16 this morning in our Rooted Bible reading, receive leadership as a gift from God. Never, ever try to take leadership that has not been gifted to you by God. We just read this morning about Korah. He stands up to Moses and says, why is Moses the only one that gets to speak for God? We can hear from God, too. He was trying to take hold of leadership that was not gifted to him. And the Bible says the ground swallowed him and his family up. The opposite of that was a few chapters earlier, we read that God told Moses to choose 70 of the elders. And he chose these 70 elders and brought them before the tabernacle. And it says God took the anointing that was on Moses and delegated it to these 70 elders. That's leadership gifted by God. So don't ever try to take leadership that hasn't been gifted to you. You'll find the ground swallowing things up in your life. But when you've been gifted with leadership, Paul says, lead with diligence. Don't hide it. Don't withdraw from the back to the back. Don't be like Saul hiding in the luggage. If you've been given the gift of leadership, lead with diligence. How about mercy with cheerfulness? Right? If somebody needs mercy, what they don't need is a bad attitude, right? Like, oh, I guess I'll be nice to you because that's what the Holy Spirit told me to do. No, it's mercy with cheerfulness. And we know that grace is when you give someone more than they deserve. 
And mercy is choosing to not give somebody what they do deserve. So when somebody deserves to be rebuked or rejected or shamed or forgotten, you choose not to. And when you do it with cheerfulness, you minister the grace of God to somebody who's broken and hurting. And then finally, the gift of administrations. Uh, This is another one that we read and we're like, well, I like doing office work. And administration is office work. So this must be my gift. That's not what this word is. The Greek word is kybernesis, which just sounds kind of cool anyway. For those Star Wars nerds out there, lightsabers are made out of kyber crystals. So you draw the biblical connection. Okay, so kybernesis. It actually means to navigate, to guide, or even generalship, such as leading an army. So again, when you study this word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it most commonly refers to a general leading an army. But what it means is that you're able to navigate, to guide, to get a group of people to complete a project together. So if you're a general, you're leading an army to win a battle, and you're able to organize and motivate that army. Otherwise, any project where you're able to get people together, organize and motivate them in an effective way to where they can complete a project, that's what administration is. I think of Spencer. Spencer does a job where he puts on corporate events for large audiences, hundreds, thousands of people. And those conferences require multiple locations and different rooms within the different locations and multiple setups and teardowns. And his job is to organize an army of employees and to motivate them to get everything done in an effective manner. That's the gift of administrations. And that's why I invited Spencer into a ministry role here at the church where he can use that gift. So what is your ministry? I want to close with this. As I was studying this, I saw a parallel in Romans chapter 12 of what we just studied in 1 Corinthians. Think about in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, Paul talks about the gifts and how the gifts operate in the body. Then in chapter 13, he talks about love and that if you don't have love, the gifts aren't worth anything. And then in chapter 14, he talks about the proper functioning of the gifts within the church, right? So you guys see that pattern, the gifts, the love, and then the proper function? I see the exact same pattern in Romans chapter 12. It's just all condensed into two paragraphs instead of three chapters. But Paul teaches about the gifts and the body, And then in Romans 12, 9, the very next word he writes is love. And then for the rest of this paragraph, he talks about the proper atmosphere for the gifts to be functioning within the church. And in one short paragraph, he gives 13 imperatives. And so that's why you'll notice you've got 13 blanks in your notes. We're going to do this rapid fire. So get your right hand ready. Work out that carpal tunnel. All right. So first off, what is an imperative? An imperative is a directive. It's when somebody tells you what to do. But in the Greek language, Paul is actually using what's known as continuous imperatives. What does that mean? It's a directive not to be obeyed just one time, but to be obeyed as a lifestyle. 
So all 13 of these are continuous imperatives. Paul is saying this is the lifestyle of the church, and this is what the environment of the church should look like as we're operating in the spiritual gifts together. Are you guys ready? We're going to read the paragraph, and then I'm going to fire these off, and you've got to do your best to keep up. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Whoo, come on, here we go. Your first blank is sincere love. He said love without hypocrisy, right? Our love needs to be free from agendas. Our love needs to be free from us putting on a show because we really just want people to like us and that we love one another sincerely with our only motive being what's best for each other and what's best for the church ohana, sincere love. Then he says hate evil. Come on, we get too comfortable with evil in the church, we get too comfortable with evil in our community. He says, hate it. And then he says, cling to good. So if it's good, if it's godly, cling to it. That word cling is actually the same word that is used to represent sexuality or the cleaving together of a husband and wife. So the way a husband and wife are two flesh becoming one, Paul is saying you should become one with everything that's good. So hate what's evil and become good, become one with everything that's good. Covenant community. He says be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I call that covenant community. We are committed to one another in this new covenant relationship with Jesus. We are not just marginally involved. We're committed to one another and living with one another in this brotherly love. Honor, he says that we should give each other preference with honor. So we would be honoring one another. The next one is zeal. He says don't be lacking in diligence. We should be zealous. We should be a passionate people. We should be overflowing with a zeal uh, to, to, to advance the kingdom of God and to do the things of the kingdom. The next, he says, be fervent in spirit. So spiritual fervency. Right? The Holy Spirit's inside of us, which means we should be alive. We should be excited to do spiritual things. We should want to see the gifts of God operating in us because the Spirit is in us, and the Spirit loves to minister God's grace to people. So we should be on fire to do spiritual things, serving God or serving the Lord. Are we doing the things that Jesus wants us to do? Because that's Christianity in a nutshell is surrendering ourselves to Jesus. He restores us, and now we live our lives to do what he wants to do. Are we serving God? How about rejoicing? He says rejoice in hope. This is actually kind of an end times reference that we should be rejoicing that we know what our eternity is. And even when things are hard on this earth, we can rejoice because there is a hope of the new body and the new earth and the eternity that we're going to have persevere when life is difficult. Don't stop. Keep pressing through. How about devoted prayer? Not just casual prayer. Not just I pray every once in a while when I think about it. No, I'm devoted to prayer. Meeting needs. 
He says, contribute to the needs of the saints, that we would meet one another's needs. And he says, practice hospitality. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, sometimes you end up entertaining angels just because you were practicing hospitality. All right, if you wrote quick enough, then in your notes in front of you, you should have this amazing picture of what a charismatic environment looks like where we're all operating in our gifts, that we have sincere love, we hate evil, we cling to what is good, we live in covenant community with each other, we honor one another, we're zealous, we have spiritual fervency, we're serving God, we're rejoicing in eternity, we're persevering in hard times, we're devoted to prayer, we're meeting one another's needs, and we're practicing hospitality. Whoo, come on. That's the church. And when we have this heart and this environment and we ask ourselves, what is my ministry? What is the grace that has been given to me? We will be that Ephesians 4 church that is healthy and thriving and full of love. So what enduring gifts has the Holy Spirit given to you? Have you discovered your enduring gifts? Have you yielded yourself to them? Are you open to the spontaneous gifts? Will you let the Holy Spirit use you in any way you want? And is our church operating in a charismatic environment? What part are we playing, each one of us, in this charismatic environment, these 13 imperatives of what the church looks like? Worship team, if you could come back. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, it's time to get sober. It's time to stop being drunk on ourselves, and it's time instead to be full of the Holy Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, what part do I play in the kingdom? What part do I play in Kauai Bible Church? What gift do you want to use today? And we would yield ourselves to that, and we would completely shatter the spectator mindset of I come to church to watch people minister to me. But instead, we all come to church to be agents of ministry because the Holy Spirit is inside of us and we have the potential. But we have to care enough about what God is doing to not be full of ourselves, to say, I will give myself to the enduring gift. I will be open to the spontaneous gift. I want to know what my ministry is. And I want to fulfill my ministry in this day and in this season. Lord, we ask you right now, would you take these words that have been spoken? Would you minister deeply to our hearts, O oh Lord? Lord, where there have been impure motives in our hearts, where there have been self-serving agendas, Lord, would you call us to repentance? Would you reveal those things in your love that, Lord, we could repent of those things? Lord, would you begin to speak to us? What is the gift that we have? Has somebody laid hands on me? Has somebody prophesied over me? Has the Holy Spirit awakened something inside of me? What are the gifts that I have? And have I neglected them? Come on, Holy Spirit, minister to every heart right now. Have we neglected them? I pray today a spirit of delight would fall upon the church, that we would delight in being used by God that we would delight in ministering to one another, that we would be full of joy and cheerfulness, that we have gifts and we get to use them. 
I pray, Lord, for the unleashing of the gifts of the Spirit throughout Kauai Bible Church. For all those with us in person, for those on the digital campus who were not able to be in person today, I pray for the unleashing of the gifts, Lord. I pray for the charismatic environment of Kauai Bible Church. Let each one of us play our parts in zeal and fervency, in love and patience, in hospitality, in meeting one another's needs, in honoring one another. Let each one of us play our parts, Lord. So speak to us today. Lord, we are your servants. We are listening. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let the Holy Spirit open things up in your hearts. And if there's anything that he reveals to you, in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to ask somebody to pray for you. So let's worship. Let's be open to the Holy Spirit.